Faith and Family is a production of KFUO Radio. Christ for you anytime, anywhere since 1924. Text the letters KFUO to 41444 to join the legacy with your tax-deductible gift. singing, how does congregational singing transform your congregation, your family, your life? You're listening to Faith and Family. I'm Eddie Bates. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting Faith and Family. Find out more about CU Dub on our website, kfuo.org. Look for them in the sponsor section. Joining me in studio this morning, the Reverend Dr. John Veeker, who's senior assistant to the president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And, uh, I'd like to say a regular guest here, a time-to-time guest here on Faith and Family, particularly when it comes to the church's song is uh, is when we get to have conversations. John, welcome. Great to be here. Thank you, Andy. Thanks for being my guest and uh, excited about looking to, looking at a book together today that uh, recently uh, was published, the, uh, the book by Keith and Kristen Getty Sing, How Worship Transforms Your Life, Family, and Church. Uh, Keith and Kristen Getty, and that's from uh, B&H Publishing, I believe. The uh, the book takes a look at singing, particularly the congregation song, the church's song, and uh, I know that that is a topic that well, you is very dear to you, and, and something you've dedicated much of your uh, your education, your time, your study, your work to as well. I want to go back a little bit to your studies and uh, your research because that was the 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 the, uh, the chief study of your your doctorate, correct? Right. I took a look at Lutheran hymn singing, um, particularly transitioning in the Missouri Synod at the end of the 19th century from German to English. And I looked mostly at the texts to see um, what, how did the influence, what was the influence of American evangelicalism on uh, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in our hymnody. So the, the church's song is what the church sings, says much about the church, and we'll, we'll dig more into that here in, in just a little bit as we look at their book. But from your perspective as a pastor um, and, and as one who studied the, the church's song, what role does the church's song play in the life of the church? Well, I think that singing the gospel is what the church does. We sing of Jesus Christ. We get this from the New Testament where St. Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Okay, that that makes a lot of sense. And then he goes on singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. He is saying that when you sing, when we sing the good news to one another, we are filling our hearts with the gospel. It's it's coming into our ears, into our hearts on the wings of song, and it's going into the ears, into the hearts of those outside of the church as well who are there visiting or um, who hear us singing in our lives throughout the week. What has congregational singing looked like throughout the, the history of the church? Going back to the early church and uh, moving forward in time to the, the Reformation and the early American church. Well, that would be, you know, a couple thousand pages, but, um, you know, in, in a nutshell, Christians have always been singing. Uh, we inherited the Psalms, the, the Old Testament hymnal uh, from 
uh, from the from um, from Judaism, and uh, we've in, incorporated and used those songs for our entire history of the Christian Church, and we carry those forward. We view them Christologically. We view them with Christ at the center of every single word, and uh, but Psalms and then hymns. Uh, those were also songs that were being sung uh, at the time, uh, written by the early church. And you see some of them perhaps in the New Testament, Philippians chapter 2, for example. And then spiritual songs. These are songs and hymns that are yet to be written and have been written over the ages. And you look at any Lutheran hymnal, and it is an eclectic collection of history, of of texts, of, of melodies, of arrangers, of, of uh, translators throughout the 20, 21 centuries of the Christian church. And it's, this tells you something about we don't just sing a sliver of it. We sing all kinds of hymns from all periods. It, it transcends time. It transcends culture. Mm-hmm. It, uh, and, and, and as you pointed out, it, they come from various parts of the church, not, uh, you know, the, the church at large, not just from our, our songs, our hymns come not just from today's Lutherans or, or a specific era of Lutherans, but mm-hmm. from the church at large. Yeah, I like to look at as at Lutheran hymnody and hymnody of the church as, as Catholic in the sense of a universal, universal of time, as we just mentioned, throughout all periods, but also of space um, from throughout the world. We have hymns in our hymnal from Ethiopia and from China and from Kenya and from South America. These are the treasures. Um, this speaks to the Catholicity of the gospel that goes to all four directions throughout the world. That is spread to all nations, and it comes back to us in song. The the role of congregational singing in the Reformation at the, at the time of the Reformation, I mm-hmm, should say. Mm-hmm. What was the, the 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 role of congregational singing at that time there had been some singing going on by by the laity prior to the reformation mostly outside of the of the mass in processions and in in some churchly folk song that had been going on but primarily what was going on in the divine service or the mass was carried out by the clergy either those who were um, celebrating the sacrament or choirs of clergy. And so the congregation had a very passive role. Uh, And the center, of course, in the medieval mass was the sacrifice of the mass. Um, The body and blood were re-offered, the body and blood of Christ re-offered as an unbloody sacrifice uh, on behalf of those who were attending. And um, so this was a problem for Luther because it turned, uh, what he did, he turned it all on its head and said, it's not about us sacrificing the sacrament is about Jesus, the Lord of the church, giving us his body and blood to eat and drink for the forgiveness of our sins. And so congregational singing began to become a part of that and extolling that wonderful that wonderful sacrament and gift. And uh, Luther wrote about 37 hymns during his life. He wrote most of them within about 18 months, 1523, 24. And uh most of the hymns that he wrote, all but eight, were actually uh, reworkings of existing melodies and texts that had already been used, or they were from the Bible. Were hymns only sung 
in the congregational setting, in the divine service, what role or what place did hymns take in other aspects of life? Well, as uh, as that began to take shape in the 1520s and 30s, others also began to write hymns at Luther's encouragement. And so, for instance, Johann Matthesius uh, in uh, in Joachimsthal, a, a significant city um, today in the Czech Republic, not significant today, but it was it was then. Uh, they he and others began to, for instance, use hymns as a way of teaching the catechism, and uh, a way to teach people how to sing. Um, the gospel and sing the Bible and sing the good news into their lives throughout the week. Uh, he would write uh, texts on sermons that he wrote, uh, a hymn that kind of summarized the point of the sermon. And vast collections, this, was, this went on for a century and a half in Germany. And that's, you know, what became from 37 hymns became almost tens of thousands of hymns. What about singing in the home? Again, this, uh, this became more pronounced uh, a century later, during difficult times in Germany, during the Thirty Years' War from 1618 to 48, when you didn't necessarily have a church uh, to go to on Sunday because it got burned down a few weeks ago and it hasn't been rebuilt and probably won't get rebuilt for months or years. And so there were collections that pastors began to, mostly pastors began to make, uh, devotional hymns that would focus on the sermons that they were preaching and on other other key points of, of teaching, of Christian teaching. And these were used uh, at in the home, in singing. Uh, you know, Paul Gerhardt was, was the big, uh, big man in this area, uh, the most well-known, but others like Johann Hermann and, and Johann Rist were doing the same kinds of things, uh, providing devotional literature through hymnody for use in the home. Do you think congregational singing has been lost in the church today? I think lost is too strong of a word. Okay. But, but in some congregations, I'm only going to speak about uh, Missouri Synod congregations, it can be a challenge. Um, and, and there are a number of things. Sometimes uh, in some congregations, the acoustics are just not in very good shape. They've lined the... They've lined the sanctuary with carpet, and and so it, it makes it difficult to uh, to sing. You only hear yourself. You're not hearing anyone else around you. And to the other extreme, you have some situations where they have moved away from traditional hymnody, um, traditional solid hymnody into more contemporary types of genres um, without the kind of good discernment that there might need to be. Um, and, and the richness of text that you might find in, in older texts. So um, lost is not a, not is probably too strong of a word, but uh, it, it varies widely in Missouri Synod congregations. And in some places you have great singing. You can hear the voice of the congregation when you are singing. And in others, you feel like you are singing by yourself or there's a soloist up there and you're not really supposed to sing or it's, you might sing along but mumble along. So the role of the role of music in our culture, our North American culture, I think, has changed too. Mm -hmm. uh, music played a diff very different role in the home and in the church in previous generations than what it does today. Today, it's it's more about performance, whereas in the past, music played a role in the home. The family would gather around the piano or mm -hmm. or the violin or the the guitar at home. 
to sing songs, not just hymns, but e- even songs, folk songs, and, and things mm-hmm. for for the sake of, of family entertainment. Um, you'd sing them together, or for teaching even. Yeah, you know, so when my great-grandmother got married in 1911, her only condition for getting married to my grandpa, Nathaniel, or, or Than, was, I want a piano. Buy me a piano, and I'll marry you. <laughs> <laughs> so he did. That piano was passed on to my mother's, uh, to her, you know, my mother's mother, and then my mother, and it was the piano that I grew up with. And so there's this history of singing, in my, in my family anyway, uh, from days gone past when yeah every every house had every respectable middle class house had a a piano and people knew how to play it and how to sing everything from Christmas songs I I'm dreaming of a white Christmas to hymns and that's what we did but this is not so much the case today anymore music education has really taken a hit in the public schools and in many other places and music has become kind of a background soundscape. Um, that that people kind of listen to in the background, but how to listen and engage and be engaged by the music is an art that is is lost on many. I grew up in a, a school district that had an exceptional music program, and I didn't realize it until mm-hmm. I was out of school. Yeah, and then learned later that not not every student in in choir and in music programs in school learn uh, great sacred music and, and the yeah. things that I, this was in a public school district. I learned great music and I am yeah. very thankful for the teachers that I had, but I didn't realize that that, that was the exception, not the norm mm-hmm. in, in our culture today. Do Luth- do you think Lutherans regard congregational singing differently than other do- denominations regard congregational singing? Well, I don't know what people in, in the pews necessarily think about singing. I think most think that, that probably think that um, often the hymn singing is there to kind of be transitional. Uh, they'll get up and go to the bathroom during a hymn or, or whatever, <laughs> but uh, that, that's the case with some. I think, you know, though, that Lutherans would view hymn singing primarily as um, a way to proclaim the gospel yet again. We try to pick hymns that fit with the Bible readings that are going on in the service or the theme of the service. Uh, we uh, so so the proclam- the proclamatory nature of hymn singing that it, hymns are here to proclaim the good news of the suffering and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ into our ears. That's really the point of hymn singing. Um, they they also have this, the point of praise and thanksgiving for what Christ God has done for us in Christ Jesus. Yes, that's all true, uh, but but primarily it is to proclaim the Bible, the good news, into our ears. Just about a month ago, a uh, a new book was published by Keith and Kristen Getty. Uh, Tell us your familiarity with with Keith and Kristen Getty. I I was I followed them a little bit, and I'm familiar with with some of their music. Mm-hmm. But tell us uh, how you know Keith and Kristen Getty. What you've come to learn about them? Well, I I met them actually a couple of times. In fact, last time uh, Keith Getty was here in St. Louis, he stopped by President Harrison's office, and we had a wonderful conversation together. He has played. He and Kristen and his, and their band have played for a couple of. Lutheran Church Extension Fund conferences in the last few years, and it's always been an outstanding performance. They are they are superb musicians, and they they hire Nashville Nashville ringers to to uh, assist them in their in their concerts. So it's wonderful. Um, you know, Keith Getty. Uh, they both grew up in Ireland, and Keith Getty 
is a, is a bona fide musician. I, I, <laughs> I mean, he has a degree in, in music and orchestration and conducting. Um, and for a while, he's or, he has orchestrated and done a number of film scores and, and small projects like that. But he really found his own uh, place in trying to... Um, I think he sensed that much of what was going on in the contemporary Christian music industry was uh, Christianity light. And he has done tried to do two things. One, bring some significant depth back into the texts of, of these songs by looking to the tradition of hymnody, the great texts um, that have come from the past, and to emulate those and to be thoroughly biblical uh, and proclamatory in terms of the gospel through his texts. And then through the music, much of what goes on in contemporary Christian music is soloistic. It's really written for a soloist to sing. And if you happen to listen to it many, 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 many times, you might be able to sing along, but it's not really <laughs> intended for you to sing along. Uh, Keith has has um, fashioned his melodies in a way that they can be sung by, corp- by in a corporate setting, by a congregation. Now, if you go to one of his concerts, uh, Kristen was a, is a lovely talent as well. Um, she tends to soloisticize uh, these melodies. That's a new word that I just soloisticize. Made up. So, yeah, it tends to make them a little more <laughs> soloistic with ornamentation. Of course, that is something that J.S. Bach did with thing. I mean, this mm-hmm. is nothing new. Take a, tr- a traditional melody, a simpler melody, and ornament it. She does the same thing in her performances. But if you want to sing it in congregations, these melodies work very well. They have a folk-like character to them. And um, so that is, in a nutshell, what Keith and Kristen Getty are about. They are kind of unique, and they are groundbreakers in this regard. I've been to one of their concerts, and they really do encourage singing Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. from everyone present. Yeah. They they really do encourage that. And... uh, and in an engaging way as well. Well, let's take a look at their their book, Sing, How Worship Transforms Your Life, Family, and Church. Um, what are, as you read through this, what are some of the key points that were made in their book that you think might be of interest, particularly to our Lutheran audience? Well, he makes, he begins with a chapter on, on singing uh, and he engages the question, what if I can't sing? And he suggests that everyone can sing. Uh, if you can speak. If you can speak, you, you can, can sing. sing. And uh, this is a point I have made many times, and I'm glad that he, he borrowed my, uh, <laughs> my information. <laughs> no, this is very true. I took a voice class once uh, when I was in high school. It was a, it was a junior college voice class, and um, so there were probably 30 or 40 of us in us. In the very first session... We were singing, and the the teacher uh, noticed there was one guy in the back who was singing in his own to his own tune. Okay, we were singing <laughs> things like "God Bless America" or "America the Beautiful," simple melodies. So he invited him up to the front, and I thought, "Oh boy, where is this going to go?" And he said, "This individual Joe, or whatever his name, um, has a pitch identification issue, and I'm going to work with him now." And he said. Joe down at the piano, and he said, Joe, play middle C. No, excuse me, it worked the other way. He, the instructor, sat at the piano and played middle C. And he had the uh, Joe stand behind him and hold his neck, 
his vocal cords, the instructor's vocal cords. So he played the note and he amplified them through his vocal cords. And I, this is not a Benny Hinn story. Um, <laughs> he actually was able to, by holding the neck of the instructor, match the pitch. He, if you if you played a C, he would sing an E flat. If you played an E flat, he'd sing a G flat. It was always a minor third off. And so he's, then the instructor wow. said, I'm going to work with Joe privately and we'll work on this. I worked with a guy in, who had the same issue and now he sings for the L.A. Metropolitan Opera. Um, this is the kind of stuff that goes on. Every, everyone can sing. And even if you don't want to learn how to sing in pitch uh, with everybody <laughs> else, you can sing. My father, uh, God, God bless him, and, and he will tell you this too, can't carry a tune in a bucket. But he loves to sing hymns, and he sings them in his own in his own key, uh, to the glory of God. Everyone can sing. That's a ma- one major point that he makes in his book. Right, many will say, "Well, I don't sing because I don't sing well, mm-hmm. uh, because I can't yes. sing." Right. Which is this is really a cop out. Yeah, it's there. There's fear, you know. Mm-hmm. I've, I've run into so many people, especially males but also some females who, if you go, start to talk to them, why do you think you can't sing? It usually boils down to a childhood experience where they were in a, a choir and the choir instructor said, Joe, why don't you stand in the back and, and, not, and maybe just move your lips? You know, you want to take instructors like that and, mm-hmm. and wring their necks because they have traumatized now this person to believe that they can't sing. Where probably this poor guy either has a pitch identification issue or he's just a lazy singer and needs a little, little help, you know, learning how to use his uh, diaphragm and, and his voice. Uh, this happens, too, with young men when they transition from, uh, from uh, childhood voice to, uh, to their male adult voice. That difficult period where you're squeaking and squawking what to do. And they don't learn how to use their voice as an adult. Uh, this is why I think high school choirs and... and Working with men in this in, at that time in their lives is critical. So I, I forgot where we went from this. <laughs> We're talking about uh, <laughs> key points from the the uh, from yeah. Keith and Kristen's book that yeah. uh, that would be of interest yeah. to Lutherans. Uh, so everyone can sing if you can speak. Everyone you can, can sing. sing. Yes, and and they they even acknowledge that those who uh, who rely on sign language, American sign language, mm-hmm. uh, using American sign language uh, along with song is a, a beautiful way for them to be a part of the church's song as well. Absolutely. So everyone in some form can sing. Mm-hmm. Uh, any other points um, that stood out for you in this book that, and we'll dig deeper into some of these topics as well, but any other points? Well, I mean, just to summarize, you know, how singing impacts our hearts and minds, um, the culture of singing in our family, uh, how to equip your church for singing, and then singing as a radical witness of the gospel to the world. These are the main points of his book. If this doesn't intrigue you enough to get it, um, well, (laughs) it, it was very good. What do you think we can learn about a congregation by her singing? You visit a congregation. Uh, I don't know if you do this, but when you mm-hmm. visit a congregation mm-hmm. and kind of take in a, a simple assessment of what's going on here when it comes to time mm-hmm. to sing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I, this, I'm, it tends to distract my worship, actually, because I'm preoccupied with this question. <laughs> Whenever I visit a congregation, that's the first thing I'm looking for is, is how do they sing? And usually, if they're if they're 
sometimes I'm amazed and, and just overjoyed, but sometimes I, I notice issues. And oftentimes, as I mentioned earlier, it's an acoustic question. They just aren't, they have designed a space that makes it impossible or difficult to sing as, as a group. Uh, sometimes they challenge, they have a challenging issue with musical leadership. They have an organist or someone who, God bless her, uh, just needs a little help in, in how to effectively lead uh, him singing. Um, I've seen some places where pastors just believe they are the, you know, the soloist uh, and blare over the microphone and then everybody else kind of pulls back a little bit. Um, and I, I know how this is as a pastor. You feel like you need to lead the service, mm-hmm. uh, but that can, can also be um, unhelpful. So you can just, I, I think some of it is mechanics, you know, um, just basic things that could be tweaked um, to to assist in singing. It's rare that I run into a congregation where people are just sitting there with their arms crossed and not singing, at least in Lutheran churches. Now, when I visit Roman Catholic churches, uh, and I don't do that very often, but when I have, um, I have noticed that many of them do not know how to sing or don't sing Mm. in the pews. And I think it's because they have really only engaged the question of congregational singing for since 1962, really, uh, with Vatican II. So... Um, the, the Roman Catholics are still learning how to sing as as a group, as congregations, by and large. One of the discussion questions, there throughout the book, this is, I believe, what, six chapters, I think, in the book, and each chapter has some discussion questions at the end. One that struck me as interesting was, how do you feel about singing not only songs you like, but songs you need to sing? How might this be a useful question? Yeah, you know, we. I think we we all know what we like, right? We don't always know what we want, but we know what we like. <laughs> and uh, sometimes what we like is not always uh, what's best for us. Lutherans tend to like to sing the hymns that they know, and I'm talking about traditional hymn singing. And most congregations have a rather narrow vocabulary of hymns that they know, of their favorites. And it can be a struggle at times to to learn new help, new melodies and new hymns. I think that's where it calls for the pastor and musical leadership to take it slowly and to teach new melodies. I, I When I was a parish pastor, we had a hymn of the month where we would sing that hymn at one service, uh, at the service at one point every week. Mm-hmm. And by the end of that month, people started to know the melody and knew and to like the hymn. Mostly they like the hymn. Um, and that that's kind of a way to add a hymn vocabulary to people. Um, sometimes the hymns that we we like, um, you know, in the contemporary genre may not be that, that deep. Um, maybe we need something more. We need, uh, you know, cotton candy is great at the county fair, but we also need to have our vegetables and our, our meat and our potatoes uh, for a healthy diet. So... I'm, I always look for text. This is the first thing I look at the, when I look at a new hymn is what is what do the words say? I don't want to get distracted by the music. <laughs> but what if you have a great text and a horrible melody? Yes, yes. A very unsingable melody. Well, there are no unsingable melodies. <laughs> just like... <laughs> no, I know what you mean. Yeah, there are some melodies where you... Um, when we were doing the hymnal project, uh, I was involved in Lutheran Service Book Hymnal Project. 
there were a few melodies that Luther had written. They, he really took melodies that were already existing, but they're very challenging, and we provided an alternate uh, melody for a couple of those. And um, I have to say, those have not always not been that well embraced the, the alternates but um it's an attempt to 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 take a, a great text what was a great text and maybe make it more widely available we have just under a minute left but uh you know keith and Kristen come from a different confession uh, more of a, a reformed background mm-hmm. what can lutherans bring to conversations in evangelical reform circles uh regarding music and worship why is it important for us to be at the table when it comes to conversations like this lutherans approach hymn singing from the beginning point uh, the gospel is the beginning point we view our hymn singing as proclaiming the word um, the good news of jesus christ and it's sometimes in among Reformed and Evangelicals, the focus is more on glorifying God and praising God. Lutherans would not deny that. But it's not our departure point. Our departure point is always the gospel, always what Jesus has done for us, and that those words that we sing go into our ears and into our hearts, and they have an effect on our lives. They have an effect on, our, on what we believe, and they have an effect on what we do in our lives. And uh, so I think that's a unique thing that that Lutherans bring. I saw a lot of that in this book, actually, a lot of kind of Lutheran understanding of hymnody as proclaiming the gospel. And I was pleasantly and happily surprised um, and rejoicing over that. I I enjoyed the book. It's it's available in print, uh, electronic, and audiobook. And I will say that the audiobook you actually get to hear uh, Kristen singing some mm-hmm. of the music, which is nice. Awesome. So you hear some of the melodies in it as well. Uh, an enjoyable book, worth a worth the read, I believe. Uh, Sing by Keith and Kristen Getty. Sing how worship transforms your life, family, and church. Dr. Vicker, thanks so much for being my guest today, helping us uh, take a look at this book and for, for spending some time reading through this book with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for asking. God bless you in your service. Coming up in just a little bit, find out what's going on with the Lutheran Women's Missionary League. We'll check in with Patty Ross. She's the president of Lutheran Women's Missionary League. Had some time to visit with her in studio during her St. Louis visit this week. You're listening to the Messenger of Good News Worldwide, KFUO. AM850 in St. Louis, KFUO.org online. Also follow us on Facebook. See what's going on in this studio as well as upcoming events. Concordia University, Wisconsin, and Mequon overlooks a half mile of beautiful Lake Michigan shoreline. CUW campus is located 15 miles north of Milwaukee, with over 70 undergraduate majors, 28 graduate degree programs, and doctorate programs in pharmacy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and nursing practice. CUW offers online learning and accelerated learning at one of nine Wisconsin centers and one in St. Louis. Traditional or accelerated education, CUW has the program for you. CUW.edu.